0: You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection Streaming Video Service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. CriterionCast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is critic and YouTube creator Celeste de la Cabra. Celeste, thank you so much for being back on the show today.
1: Thank you for inviting me again. I'm excited to be rounding this out, so to speak. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited
0: to continue our conversation and to be uh, finishing up this uh, discussion on the films that are at least available for what is available for Ishiro Honda. Uh, I think this is going to be fun. Before we uh, do kind of some housekeeping and everything, in the Patreon pre-show, we discussed that uh, you've been doing uh, little bits of, of recording for your channel, but kind of in the biggest news, you've started your own Patreon, correct?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's been going well. I'm really excited about it, and I'm really grateful to everyone who signed up so far, but I've put a lot of time and effort into kind of curating the benefits there and laying out the page and everything like that so there's three tiers that you can support at you'll get all sorts of benefits like exclusive videos access to a discord community and at the highest level i'm going to be sending out um, custom made postcards to people with like a like a custom made wax seal on it and everything so it's gonna be fun nice that's awesome that's very thoughtfully prepared and
0: curated i like that (laughs) thanks yeah that's great Well, uh, in uh, just a little bit of housekeeping, I definitely want to make sure to thank uh, the Patreon supporters of this show. I really do appreciate all of the support that uh, you have been giving the show, and it really does help keep uh, the show going. So thank you so much. And if you do want to support the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck and Patreon supporters get early access to episodes and get the unedited Patreon conversations where... Celeste and I just spent the last hour talking about the Janus Contemporaries line. We talked about other titles that were in the the streaming uh, only library, and we uh, spent some time talking about the the films that were released in uh, August on the Criterion Channel. So. We had a a long, lengthy conversation about uh, work and uh, work requirements and economic injustice a little bit. So yeah, it was good.
1: All sorts of fun things. That's right,
0: exactly. You get uh, definitely uh, uh, wide ranging conversations in the Patreon mm-hmm. uh, feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Celeste, we're back to to round out as as you said this conversation on what has been a really rich and a really rewarding discussion of the, the films of Ishiro Honda that are not Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think this has been a really fun look at some of the other corners of Ishiro Honda's monster and science fiction cinema. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we covered things like Rodan, we covered, Matongo um, and Dogura last time and now we're coming towards the end of his career I think uh, the the film the, the last film we're going to cover uh, was the film he made I think pretty closely before he made uh, The Terror of Mechagodzilla mm-hmm. and then right after that he semi-retired from directing mm-hmm. and so we're we're reaching. You know the end of a really great career. Um, mm-hmm. And what are what are some of your thoughts before we really dig into the films about what you've seen of the the overview of his career?
1: Yeah, I mean it's been interesting to see the same or a lot of the same themes keep coming up, finding new and different ways to spin very similar messages and very similar conceits. You know, looking at his at the bundle itself and as his filmography at large, it's it's important, I think, to remind ourselves of the dates on these things and just how quickly he was cranking these out, (laughs) like sometimes two in a year. Yeah. Which is insane. So you kind of start to think about okay, yeah, the fixation on certain themes makes sense, you know, when you're really just pumping these things out back to back to back. And I think you start to see a lot of repetition, but I don't think you start to see a ton of like dips in quality. Like, I don't think there's a lot of duds here or like real huge like swings and misses going on. And so especially since this is a director that I found to be so consistent, both in quality and in pacing and theme, it's really interesting when you see those things start to diverge a bit and you start to see the sort of outsider examples of this person's work. You really start to see the different nuances and the kind of idiosyncrasies of each particular work when they're so similar in a lot of different ways. And it was nice to kind of spend a lot of time outside because the Godzilla films are very similar, you know, where it's like you kind of know what you're getting into, more or less. And it's just the mileage on how many times you're willing to do that, which for me is a lot. But (laughs) it's interesting to kind of see this person at work on ideas outside of that specific set of ideas you know yeah yeah
0: no I think that's a great point that you know we're seeing a you know I I watched most of the Godzilla films that were available at the time in the space of like I think a month to prep for a a podcast my first podcast appearance and uh, so I really kind of dug into them and you know you see the themes you see how those are being explored within a really specific context and it does feel like here he's allowed himself the freedom to go a little bit weird at times i uh, you know i think about dogara and the diamond thieves and you know the the wacky kind of space jellyfish stuff that was happening there or the the mushroom people in in Matango, or even here the the Frankenstein monsters that we get, um, and the the space amoeba that we're going to be talking about. There's some really fascinating ways that he's playing with and diverging from uh, some of the 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 techniques and the themes and styles, and yet still using some of the basic structural frameworks that he that he has developed as a shorthand to be able to kind of explore all of these things as well so that it it becomes easy to knock two or three films out in a year as well
1: yeah for sure i totally agree well
0: let's get into frankenstein versus Barragon. this is the film <laughs> that i felt i found the hardest one to to really get into out of all of the ones that we were we're, were talking about But it had some really interesting ideas, and I think the ideas were the things that kept me really connected to the film. So we we open in the middle of World War II in this kind of silent or uh, wordless prologue in which Nazi soldiers take a chest out of the laboratory of the seemingly mad scientist in the middle of bombings, and, and they transport it on a submarine to hand it off to a Japanese submarine crew and then uh, that submarine is destroyed by the Americans and the Japanese crew takes it to uh, their research uh, military hospital where we find out that it's the heart of Frankenstein's monster. Uh, and it's still living, it's still beating, and they want to use that to be able to learn how to revive the, their dead soldiers to keep them fighting. Mm-hmm. Which, right there, is a is a really uh-huh. great premise, right? <laughs> and then the atomic bomb goes off and obliterates everybody that we we have just met and seen, and so we we flash forward. I think 15 years and we're in a, a hospital and we're treating patients who have been poisoned by radiation sickness and they discover a, a waif as I think they call him mm-hmm. in the, the film. And they begin to suspect that he might be Frankenstein essentially. And that he has, has grown from that heart. And he keeps growing. The the scientists studying him. There's an American scientist and two Japanese scientists, and they they study him, and they're they're given the to to really find out whether he's Frankenstein. The, they're told they need to cut off one of his arms and see if uh, the arm will grow back. And uh, yeah, <laughs> they're like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. And one of the scientists <laughs> is like, we should do that. We should definitely do that. Yeah, um, why not? it's it you know this will this will help us save lives (laughs) right like no that's torturing a child we shouldn't do that but he keeps growing larger and larger until he uh, outgrows his uh, the cage that they've put him in put him in a cage and they're like oh no he's happy there it's it's fine don't worry about him he's he's all good and uh, he breaks out of the cage and uh, leaves to the countryside and uh in the middle of all this we discover a uh another giant monster that begins ravaging the countryside baragon who's wreaking havoc and killing people left and right and And very uh, difficult to take seriously with how cute he is (laughs) yeah i don't know that i found him as cute uh but oh he's
1: adorable he's wonderful (laughs) he's a little puppy
0: yeah okay 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 (laughs) And everyone believes that the the monster wreaking havoc is actually is Frankenstein causing causing all this all these problems. So they want to destroy Frankenstein. And uh, in the end, Frankenstein and Baragon fight. We're, we're treated to our our big kaiju fight at the end. Yeah, I mean you know, there there are things that are really great about it. I I love this idea of the the scientists really hoping to save lives and, and believing that Frankenstein is, is going to be the key to, to saving mm-hmm. life. I think that's really interesting to me.
1: Yeah. So before the show, we talked about this for a second and you seem to really, really struggle with this one. And this was actually my favorite of the three yeah. that we talked about. So I think that could be an interesting yeah. contrast. So feel Definitely. free to be as blunt as you like <laughs> in terms of what oh, I, did I, not I will. work for you. I will. And, uh, yeah. We can, we can hash something out here, maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think for me the challenge was I felt like the plot beats felt less developed than, than many of the other ones that we've seen. Uh, mm. It felt like we careened wildly from scene to scene. And mm. uh, I just didn't get as much of the connective tissue uh, that I normally get from these films. So I, I found it a little bit harder to not follow because it's not like there's a, a lot to follow follow but it just felt that suddenly we were in a new location and the the logic behind why we were in the new location and why the military knew that they were were in the new location and why the scientists were doing x y and z it 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 all felt rushed it felt like we didn't have enough time to care as much for any of the things that were happening here, uh, mm-hmm. I felt like there's there's a really great movie in here that gets obscured by having another monster come into this by mm-hmm. by trying to to speed through to the resolution. There are lovely moments, there are great moments in this, and I I, I like a lot of it. A lot of the the underlying themes that I, I like the conflict between the two male scientists. You know, I I I'm going to destroy the monster. We need to just destroy it, and the no, we need to to save it because he's he's a good monster. I I I like the, some of the ways that they're they're setting this up, but it all felt too rushed to me to really mm-hmm. let any of that sink in more than uh, some of the other films in that that Honda
1: had done. Interesting. So generally speaking, I think I'm very much already primed to enjoy this a lot given that i'm a fan of the the kaiju side of things obviously but the frankenstein story both in the original mary shelley book which i really like and all the universal adaptations mm-hmm. um, of which i've seen many if not all of them because i have that sort of big chunky universal monsters box set yeah it's like 33 films in it or something ridiculous mm-hmm. and i watched all of them so I'm a fan, I guess, you could say. And I like this idea that's behind these the, the the Frankenstein story. And I think that in a lot of ways Frankenstein is the perfect character for Ishihara Honda to tackle because I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot of thematic parallels to what is being explored there and what he explores with Godzilla. You kind of have this similar idea of like scientists sort of doing things without really thinking through the moral consequences of their behavior you know like you sort of have the atomic bomb versus this idea of creating a life without being prepared for or even interested in the consequences of what that will entail you know and so i think you have a lot of similarities there and you also have your monster that i think Is played very sympathetically in the good versions of both of these stories, you know? And I think that's no different here. Like, I think the Frankenstein monster here is essentially just a child that Mm -hmm. is thrust into a very cruel and difficult position through no fault of his own, you know? Yeah. And you see a lot of that conflict where there's the inherent compassion that a lot of people have for, like, what is clearly a living and feeling Mm -hmm. being regardless of whether or not you want to give it like personhood or like human quote unquote status versus the inherent difficulties of like the creation of a powerful being that was not designed for the world that it was created into i don't know i think there's a lot of interesting stuff there and i think that the design of the frankenstein monster is effective and that it is kind of grotesque but also kind of childlike and so it is fearsome while also being innocent and sympathetic and we've already gone over that I love Baragon um, yes yes and I think that that makes an interesting that puts the people in an interesting position when they assume that he's done all this but it is this less human more monstrous creature that is actually responsible for it and he takes up the mantle so to speak and protecting them and it kind of forces them to come to terms with how they've perceived and how they've treated him up to this point yeah I don't know I think there's a lot a lot there yeah no, I like what you're saying about the parallels
0: between the, the scientists not wanting to take responsibility. I think we see that especially in Dr. Kawaji, I believe, the scientist that wants to cut the arms off and that really is only concerned about the science and isn't mm-hmm. as concerned about the ethics of yeah. what's going on. Whereas you have uh, Sueko, and Dr. Bowen, who are both more concerned about Frankenstein himself and and want to treat him ethically because they believe that he's a human being. Mm-hmm. And they, they speak about him as a human being and not as a monster. And so again, I think that to me is really, really Compelling, I think the themes in this are really rich. I I will Mm one hundred percent agree with you on that. I think that stuff is really really good. I like the I I agree also that the design of the monster is really striking. I think that he's a really effective and sympathetic monster that is never. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about war of the in just a little bit i i think that that he's not overly made up so that he still does Mm -hmm. feel human and he does feel like he he is there's an affinity that i think we can have with the character Mm -hmm. and i think that the 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 performer is really good the yeah the actor who plays him really knows how to elicit that sympathy whether it's, you know, in in just kind of the way he is trying to, you know, th- there's that moment when he's trying to launch a tree to capture a bird, I think. I think that's in yeah, this that one. Yeah, was, that was fun. Mm-hmm. And, and ends up smashing the house of some peasants nearby. That was a genuine laugh out loud
1: <laughs> moment for me. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And, and he doesn't mean to, he doesn't want to hurt anybody, but, you know, of course they take it as, you know, he's attacking them and trying to smash up their home. And, and I really, I appreciate the way that he, he performs all of this stuff as well. So I, I like that a lot. And, and when he sees this scientist, you know, who wants to destroy him, you know, there's that moment where he's throwing, you know, bombs at Frankenstein towards the end that gets hurt and slides down the, the mountainside and, Frankenstein sees that he is injured and he you know he picks him up and carries him to his companions and uh, I found that really touching and the the performer does that handles that really well
1: yeah on a more surface level um i also really like watching the special effects update as he gets progressively larger mm-hmm. um, yeah especially within the confines of the same space yeah. Especially when, you know, with this type of era of filmmaking where you can kind of really see the seams around it, it's, it's interesting to see how it's constructed scene by scene. Yeah.
0: You see the, a little bit of the, the rear projection or the, the blue screen and the, the miniature work and the model work. You know, as a fan of Baragon, what are your thoughts of that big climactic battle between Frankenstein and Baragon mm-hmm. towards the end?
1: I think it's pretty like standard, pretty par for the course for this sort of thing. I didn't find it to be particularly riveting or particularly dull. Like there are definitely some parts I was like, "Damn, he's really just beating up on him, huh?" Like, <laughs> man, my favorite part, which I since learned is not necessarily supposed to be there, is when he <laughs> remains, he like, he like emerges victorious and then immediately gets kind of like swept up by this giant octopus. I know that's <laughs> very silly, and I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> I really like the <laughs> octopus. <laughs> And I like how little sense it makes for it to be there and just kind of is our little plot mechanic to get him out of the picture too. Yeah, my my partner was watching this with me and she was like, so I literally looked away for one second and there's an octopus on the screen. Did I miss something? And I was like, I'm pretty sure it just showed up. So we're rolling with it.
0: Yeah, I think that that was the part that maybe broke <laughs> me the most in this film.
1: Uh, See? uh I'm, yeah. un- I'm unapologetically like that was maybe one of my favorite <laughs> scenes. I just thought it was so ridiculous. I just like, I don't know. I really like the octopus. I think he's cool. I'm a yeah. fan. It was, so, a
0: co- I, I agree. It was it's very cool. silly though. It's a cool look <laughs> to it. Yeah. I think for me, it felt very tacked on, which again, reading uh, about is. the uh, <laughs> the production, it it was completely tacked on. <laughs> so yeah, you know, again, I think that, that it's, the special effects are great. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think the special effects are fantastic. I really like the sequence of him growing up. I think that to me is the the heart and soul of this film. And I actually would have would have really loved a uh, you know me and Frankenstein story of just the scientists and Frankenstein's monster you know learning how yeah. to how to do life together. But that's not the movie we we're <laughs> we're doing here. So, mm-hmm. but that sounds I, like a much sadder
1: film. <laughs> it is. To be honest, sure it is,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I did, I you know, I, I think that this one felt in something I've I've been finding with some of these later Honda films is that we don't get quite as much pathos towards the mm-hmm. monsters, you know. It and maybe it's just that he's making two, three movies a year. And he really wants to direct things other than just the monster movies, because he is still doing dramas in the midst of all this. He still is doing a lot of other films. And maybe it's just, I, you know, I don't know if it's a frustration with being stuck in this rigid format. But but yeah, I, I didn't feel as much pathos with this one as I often do mm. in, in uh, a lot of his other ones as sad as it was yeah. that, America, that that frankenstein was swallowed by the octopus and taken in and drowned it just didn't. Mm, yeah it, it it didn't feel quite uh, as moving as some of the other ones no
1: i mean i actually did find quite a bit of it throughout the film but yeah. it is sort of that scene has nothing on the final scene of rodan or something like that exactly you know? yeah. Um, yeah i still think it's there i definitely think it's there and i i don't think he's given up on the idea of the sympathetic monster or anything like that But especially in like a big death scene like that, it is quite abrupt and weightless as it were, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. And I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you that. And the fact that I think it's, it's throughout. And I think especially when we have Frankenstein and the scientists really, you know, the, the relationship between Frankenstein and the scientists, I think is really lovely throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else on this film that you want to touch on before we
1: move Um, on to its sequel? I, I can't. Get over one part where Dude Band says they have to chop off an arm or a leg. And I think the three of us were all just immediately like, I mean, it could be a toe. Yeah. Like, I imagine that would accomplish the same thing. I don't think it has to be the whole fucking leg, but like, whatever, dude. Like, I think you just told on yourself a little bit, but like, nobody else is like, that seems a bit, you know, maybe we can uh, dial that back a touch. It's like, I know all or nothing on that one. And I was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. It, it does kind of bring up interesting. If it wasn't so kind of easily worked around to some extent, it does bring up interesting ethical questions as it relates to like animal experimentation Mm -hmm. and uh, scientific experimentation in general, you know, as we kind of have this gray area being between like animal and person, depending on who you ask. And I think, I think. The film's perspective is kind of close to mine in that it doesn't really matter which mm-hmm. side of that you fall on for this in particular. Like this is a being with feelings that deserves consideration, you know? Yeah. So I think it brings up interesting questions, even if it is in a way that is, let's call it clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: I, I I think that's a a great point. That this does make the case that all beings are deserving of respect, are deserving of living life free of having their limbs chopped off. You know, and the uh, uh,
1: intervention of human sadism or yeah, yeah, guess, whims, yeah. Also, I've almost forgot, but the last line of the film, I think is pretty significant and pretty like, I was like, wow, that's a lot <laughs> at the very end of this. I think he says something like, we don't know if he died, but he probably would be better off that way. After all, he's just a monster. I was just like, damn, that's, that's so harsh. And that's so like, not in keeping with the vibe of the rest of the film. But then I thought, you know, that's coming from the perspective of like our scientist or whatever. I don't think that that this feels very much like the trademark sort of pessimism that I've come to. Sort of expect from these films as Mm. the idea that once you're relegated as a monster in the eyes of normative society or in the eyes of the people who wield power, like you might as well be dead. Yeah, that's fairly bleak and like also not like I get it. I get where he's coming from, especially watching this, you know?
0: yeah you know it's that age-old question you know just because a character says something is that actually the the voice of the filmmaker or are we we meant to take that as you know as the theme of the film or not yeah i think i think you're right i think honda has a lot more he's much more empathetic than that i think
1: yeah i just thought it was such a stark contrast in tone to the rest of it just like flatly declaring that this creature was probably should be just be dead <laughs> yeah you know yeah it took me aback for a second but after thinking about it i was like i mean i think that that does have some interesting thematic implications and i don't think that our scientists here like the relayer of this final bit of information has been exactly perfectly morally virtuous this entire yeah. time so yeah. you know i think it's more of that pessimism we kind of saw in matango kind of cropping up a bit
0: yeah it's a great point so, as we move on to War of the Gargantuas, mm-hmm. which you know was just the next year, mm-hmm. this is actually one that this is my second time watching War of the Gargantuas uh, in prep for this mm-hmm. podcast. I watched it during my first binge of the Godzilla and Wanda films a few years ago. This is a, a semi sequel sort of sequel to Frankenstein versus Baragon.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call it because the sequel is a bit generous for what's Uh, happening here. Yes, Uh, yes. I don't know, maybe a spiritual successor. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: But it It... is, I, I don't know. I think it was, it was developed as a sequel. And then the, the continuity is incredibly hazy and
1: Mm -hmm. I would call it outright confusing. (laughs) It's a good, good point. I would call it like, I don't know what's happening. Like I'm (laughs) I'm like straight up confused. Yes. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, it opens with a ship at sea that is attacked by a giant octopus Perhaps the same octopus that attacked Frankenstein in the last one. Maybe that's I mean, where we get. <laughs> I thought presumably,
1: but the more it went on, the less I was convinced it has much, if any, shared no. DNA with our, our first one. So um, <laughs> probably <maybe> not. not. <laughs> uh, but then uh, the octopus is
0: then attacked by a giant humanoid creature that is is more ape-like than our, our last Frankenstein. And it's covered in green hair. And once, once he has defeated the octopus, this uh, monster then attacks the fishing boat and destroys that. turns out that the person behind the, the, the steering wheel of the, the ship is the only survivor. And he watched all of his compatriots get eaten by this giant monster which is quite disturbing. The monster attacks several other fishing boats, makes its way onto a runway, attacks a, an airport, and we see him pick up a woman inside a terminal there and picks her up and eats her in one of the more disturbing things I think I've seen in one of Honda's films. We have another moment where he attacks a, a club at a party. Uh, so there are all of these these moments where he is attacking things. And the press then want to know, is this Frankenstein? Has Frankenstein returned? And three scientists who have different names than the
1: scientists this in the is, last this film. This is where it gets especially <laughs> confusing for me.
0: Yeah, uh, They're called before the press to say is this Frankenstein? Is he back? Is he attacking? And they say it can't be because the Frankenstein that we raised was very kind and was very nice, uh, even when he escaped from the lab. We have different actors playing them as well. The American scientist is played by David Lynch regular Russ Hamblin Dr. Jacoby. Yes and uh, you know the the scientists then decide that they're going to try to prove that this isn't really their frankenstein that this is someone else and they discover that frankenstein must have shed some some cells and those cells must have been nourished by algae and grown into a sea monster and they find frankenstein a brown-haired version of this monster in the mountains and you know chaos ensues and the two monsters fight each other and it's pretty brutal there's a a couple of big set pieces with you know the the green-haired monster being attacked by laser cannons and they eventually you know take the monster the monsters go out to sea i mean it's it's all manner of grasping and clawing and fighting and animated light shows to try to take this killer ape down what were your thoughts that's a good as
1: a summary as any
0: (laughs) without getting into every detail of it yeah what were your thoughts of uh of the gargantuas
1: okay so i think for the first half of this i was too caught up in like trying to parse some kind of continuity between this and what is ostensibly the predecessor there's just so many weird decisions to me like to make like whatever you have different actors just give them the same names yeah it's fine like we get like we understand these things you know or just like i don't know like if you wanted to just completely abandon it and start fresh like It it so specifically references frankenstein as an entity we should already be familiar with and then it cuts to a scene that is very clearly not (laughs) even related To what was witnessed in the last film, like this very small, like ape creature that they're like bottle feeding, (laughs) like that just is a different thing. I don't know. So I got very hung up on that. And I think it wasn't until the second half that I could kind of be like, okay, I'm just going to engage with this on its own terms, regardless of, I don't know, any perceived expectation of continuity and it's something that i like i watched this yesterday and i like it more today than i did yesterday like kind Mm, of thinking about it in retrospect kind of leaving those frustrations aside and just kind of taking it on its own terms there's actually quite a bit that i liked about it especially in in terms of its imagery and in some of its themes i really like the design of the gargantuas again if we're not trying to compare it to the original (laughs) the last Frankenstein that's more humanoid. If we're just going for more Kong-like creatures, I think they look really cool. I think they look really scary. And I think they, I like the way that they contrast, like the kind of land-based one and the sea-based creature, I guess. The kind of one that's brought up on algae and plankton versus the more, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever the adjective form of forest is, you know what I mean? Yes, Um, the the earth-based one. Yeah. And again, I think we have some really interesting ideas of personhood and of moral consideration for non-human animals, especially in this kind of one-to-one twin comparison where we have one that behaves just fairly straightforwardly evilly, I guess. Yeah. Um, though I think that's still debatable, but that's that's a different conversation. And then we have this one that is clearly like benevolent. It kind of gives you this glimpse into each person's personal ethics as it relates to that. Um you kind of have this like militarism that doesn't really care (laughs) Mm -hmm. versus like the more empathetic scientists that want to split the difference and just like, well, maybe we only brutally murder one of the things, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and even there, you know, they're looking for a way even to potentially save both of them and take them to, you know, uh, an appeal to the United nations to find a space where they could, Keep them in a uh you know captivity somewhere where they could mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. be be safe yeah. and where they mm-hmm. wouldn't hurt anyone you know in Canada or in Siberia, you know,
1: yeah, no, yeah, you're right, that's a fair point. There's a scene in this especially that I found really moving and really touching and really beautiful. It's after I don't remember their names, I apologize, but the green one is really fucked up by like the lasers, and he's yeah. like, pretty bloodied up and like not in a great spot and the other one like just like is clearly distraught by this like very brazen act of violence and like carries him off and tends to his wounds and just like it's a very tender and caring moment yeah that is given a lot of maybe not time is the right word but emotional space i don't know it's just the kind of thing that i i get i come to i've come to expect from Ashira honda's films but that i don't think you could reasonably expect from a lot of monster movies this kind of moment of tenderness between our like literal monstrous villains you know that's a lovely moment yeah yeah i think it is
0: maybe one of the it's something that i think that that we don't get enough of in and i think that having you know because they're not in you know giant rubber suits where it's maybe a little harder for them to to emote or move it gave them a chance to Really, to really perform in a way that again, is really, really moving, really touching. so mm-hmm. i I one hundred percent agree with you. That moment really stood out to me. I didn't remember that at all from my first time watching it, and uh, I found it really powerful mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Aside from that, like, yeah, I think we're kind of dealing with a lot of similar themes here. Again, I like this kind of duality of this creature and this sort of contrast. <laughs> I I don't think any conversation regarding this film is complete without discussing a little musical number <laughs> that we yeah. uh let's call it treated to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> it it's to the point where I was like I think the uh, I think the Gargantua was doing her a favor by like attacking <laughs> because now that's the story, right? Is yeah. the, is the horrific attack and not the assault on our musical sensibilities here. Maybe that's a little harsh. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, and and reading a little bit about this, this is one of three co-productions that Toho did with United Productions of America, an American Mm -hmm. uh, distribution company and so it it seems like these films where they shoehorned in american characters that you know we've got to get a, a an american singer in there to sing a sing a song mm-hmm. and we've got to get <laughs> make sure we've got an american lead as well yeah. uh, into all of these and so it it just it strikes me that the that that they just have these these requirements of them and you know again you you do what you got to do to get your film made right (laughs) to make sure that it it happens but there are those compromises that maybe don't work in its favor
1: (laughs) to be clear i'm not advocating that that be removed it's it's a (laughs) wonderful in it's sort of heinousness i guess (laughs) oh while i'm thinking about it the first thing that i was like I feel like I have to, I had to address is why is this in English? Like why Because at first I was like, Oh, maybe this was one that just has a lot of English dialogue. And I was like, no, 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 no. They're clearly speaking Japanese. This is a dub. And yeah. I was like looking around, like maybe I picked the wrong version. Maybe there's an audio option here. Cause it's, I think the only one that's in English. And I don't know why that is the, I mean, reading the Wikipedia article, it seems as though Janice licensed the English The international, as it's called, dub that sort of preserves plot elements, but is still in English. But like, I'm not a person who watches dubs ever, if I can help it. Like, yeah, it's something I really can't stand. And it was like 20 minutes into it. And I was like, okay, I found the Japanese version on archive.org. I'm very tempted to switch. But I know that since this is a Criterion Channel show, you're going to have been watched. You will have watched this one. Yes. And if there are significant differences in plot, <laughs> I guess I should stick it out.
0: <laughs> it's I got hard. Used to it,
1: but I was like, oh, man. It's I mean, rough. It's, some of this dubbing is just really bad. Like, and yeah. that's across the board. Like I mean, it's not the original performers. Just somebody going in there and mm-hmm. reading what is very clearly not uh, as well thought out of a script you know, with no connection to this, I just, I can't stand it personally. Um, but I didn't know if you had any idea or any insight as to the discrepancy there, I guess. Yeah. It does
0: sound like the, so the, the version that is on the criterion channel is closest to the Japanese version. There's an American version that runs a little longer that does have extra footage, where they remove the Frankenstein references and just call them gargantuas and all of that. Mm-hmm. And Rust Hamblin came in and redubbed his lines and all of that. This international dub is a direct translation of the Japanese version. Mm-hmm. So it's it's probably the closest version of that. It may just be that the Japanese version, the Japanese audio, is damaged pretty badly and requires some extensive mm-hmm. work to to be able to release it. So mm-hmm. that
1: that may be the the main issue. Yeah, I know it. Toho is pretty strict, maybe about yeah. what they're willing to license, especially yeah. to international licensors. Um, maybe for whatever reason, they were just like, "Sorry, yeah. you know," on the Japanese on this one. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Regardless, it was strange to me that in like 18 films, I think this was the only one. And it's not for any apparent or obvious reason, you
0: know. When they first licensed a bunch of the Kaiju films uh, for the channel, there were about two or three others that were only in English as well. Hmm. Um, before they did the Godzilla set, there were a couple that only had
1: the English dubs available on the channel. Uh, then it's probably just purely cost. Yeah. If they're not going to justify a disc sale, then yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. So I agree. The dub is pretty terrible. (laughs) It's, it's, it's pretty bad.
0: There are moments in this that really stood out to me again i think the the moment where the the woman is pulled out of the airplane or airport terminal and eaten by the green frankenstein monster is surprisingly disturbing mm-hmm. I, so i think there are some some of those moments that really have stuck with me for years uh since i first saw it i think that the ending just like the last one to me is a bit of a letdown uh, i agree it, it feels like it is incredibly anticlimactic compared mm-hmm. to everything else that we've been watching. And I think that for all of the fun model work and for all of the fun special effects work that we get in the, the really big centerpiece fight between the green monster and the military, there's a repetition to it that leads it to honestly become a little boring after a bit where we're just watching the same shots of lasers laser cannons going off or of the creature jumping up and you know smashing helicopters to the ground so there's some of that stuff that gets a little tiresome in this film and i tend to like this one a bit i think there's some stuff that i think is really interesting in it but uh, as we're talking about it, and as I'm watching these two back to back, I don't think it has the thematic rich- richness of Frankenstein versus Barragon. I think that one is just, there's so many other layers to it that while I may not think that they explored it as fully as I would have liked, there's so much going on there that that is is really, really interesting. And here they lose a lot of the more interesting threads that I think they could have really spent time discovering.
1: Yeah, it meanders a bit. It's a bit messy, especially if you attempt even a little bit to tie it to outside properties. But I think that there is something to be said for the imagery and for the sequences here. You know, I was reading that like a surprising number of real A listers cite this as not just an influence, but like one of the influences. And I'm like, this must have been on TV or something for a certain generation a lot, where like I think. I think Brad Pitt said it's the reason he's an actor. I think Guillermo del Toro said it's like one of his all-time favorites and Quentin Tarantino too. I mean, this is just like really big names putting a lot of weight in Mm -hmm. this film in particular, which to be completely honest, does not strike me as one that, I mean, it's not even in my top 10 (laughs) of his films. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, (laughs) Yeah. So that, that little bit is, I guess, interesting to me.
0: Yeah. I think that's fascinating that, that this film in particular is is one that really resonated for people. I think because of that, I think this would be really interesting if you know Criterion were to release a double feature of the the two films. Right? Um, I would love that to truly to to do a better restoration, to give it some special features, to to give us Get a better audio, the Japanese, audio, <laughs> the audio, Japanese audio of it. Yeah, because <laughs> I do think that having people talk about why they love it so much. Could be really rich. It could be really fun to hear, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I know they have a good relationship with Guillermo, especially, so that would be a fun conversation to have. you know, I think that that actually just speaks a lot to how far film accessibility can take you in terms yeah. of just how much of your influences are just a roll of the dice of like what was accessible to you, where and when, you know yeah, it's like I wonder if these same people had seen, I don't know, like Rodan instead or evasion of astro monster or something like that yeah i don't know like i don't know these people's viewing habits or whatever but i wonder had just a different film filled that void in the right time and place i don't know that's just an interesting sort of philosophical thought about access and the happenstance of like what reaches you at certain points in your life you know for reasons outside of your control yeah
0: any last thoughts on war of the gargantuas
1: I don't think so. <laughs> no. I think yeah. that, that about covers that one.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, we end our our time talking about Space Amoeba. In between War of the Gargantuas and Space Amoeba, you know, Honda had done a few more Godzilla films, a few more science fiction films, one more drama, and had also spent a lot of time doing some TV series, which I thought was fascinating. That as kind of work in film you know he still worked pretty pretty steadily but you know he wasn't doing two movies a year as regularly or you know three movies a year as you see in some of his other films on his uh, filmography he started turning to doing some tv as well and space amoeba is one of the the final films that he directed and this is a you know an interesting kind of not quite capstone to his career, he'd do Terror of Mecha Godzilla in 1975. Space like, Amoeba was yeah, five years later.
1: Yeah, for and the record, it. Terror of Mecha Godzilla kicks ass. I love I, that movie a I lot. like that one a lot
0: too. I agree. I think that's great. I think it one's great. This is a film that is about a, a space probe that is being sent to Jupiter, but before it can really get very far, a blue mist or a blue glow enters the space capsule and turns it around, and it begins to splash down in the ocean, and a photographer on an airplane sees it and tries to capture a picture of it misses it, and his boss is like, yeah, you're... You're high on something. You don't know what you're seeing. And the photographer is then encountered by a woman who wants him to go take photos of this island that she and her employers are going to exploit and turn into an island paradise or an island resort and he's like no, i don't want to do that i'm not i'm not interested but when he hears that there may be monsters on this island he's like well maybe maybe oh and, and it's it's in the same general vicinity as where the space capsule might have splashed down Okay, maybe I'll go because I might be able to get some good photos of the, the space capsule and, and show my boss that, that I was right and make a bunch of money on it as, as well. So they, they go to the, the island on their way there. The team that has been setting up and preparing for their arrival is attacked by a giant squid creature and the indigenous folks on the island basically say, well, it's what you get. You've angered our gods, so it's tough for you. (laughs) Uh, And when our our intrepid band of explorers, including a person who claims to be an anthropologist to to study the the indigenous people of the island as well, so they, they arrive, and they begin to see the monsters and there are all sorts of craziness that uh, ensues with the monsters and they begin to discover that the monsters are actually being created by this strange glowing shape, which is the consciousness of an alien entity that takes over. So this is the uh, the space amoeba. It reminded me a little bit of the Mysterians in the plot mechanics of the, an alien civilization out to conquer the earth. But yeah, it, it was an interesting one. I had fun with this one. I thought this one was a lot of fun to watch, even if the plot it's really didn't work for me very
1: much. It's an easy watch. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, you know, hearing you relay that plot synopsis, I was kind of trying to parse some kind of thematic density here that really felt to be lacking yeah. when I watched it. I was just kind of like, man, there's really not a lot here. <laughs> like, it is just kind of like a like a showcase. For these three monsters and, you know, all the mayhem and fun that ensues there. I like your connection to the Mysterians because I did briefly think about that as well. Where It's kind of borrowing this premise of an alien race just kind of like taking over our shit and like not really asking permission for it. You know, I think that there is something to be said there for because the one line in the film that felt very political to me. Was when they are being rafted to the island by the indigenous person, and he starts speaking Japanese, and the yeah. guy is like, "Oh, they they picked up the language when we occupied them. Don't worry, they picked it up quick, and they still like us, right?" And the guy, yeah, is like, fuck yeah. you, man. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> it kind yeah. of feels like a parallel between that and then the aliens taking over, and then also just the inherent destruction that comes as a result of the occupying. People just kind of forcing their way over there once again, you know. So I think there's something there, but I think that that's all kind of incidental and not really necessarily a uh, political project at the heart of this very silly film. <laughs> yeah, and and I do think
0: there's something in this too, and and we see Honda come back to this time and time again. The idea of indigenous folks who are there's a little bit of regressiveness in that, I think. Uh, in his his portrayal of the indigenous peoples in in different places who who maybe need to be, according to the films, civilized or who who worship a particular entity whose own belief system is hindering progress or is hindering. Hmm the the ability to fight against the monsters or something i don't know i've seen that a few times in different honda films
1: yeah i might want to push back on that a little bit no that's that's I think fine that, yeah i think that in this one at least that scene that i was referencing in particular is clearly like a like an imperialist sort of chauvinist yeah moment where like your sympathies are with the indigenous person i think oh definitely and like and like yeah they are kind of like maybe portrayed in this sort of regressive sort of like cult worshipping kind of thing but they're also like right <laughs> like they're kind of like hey man no, that's we kind of have something yeah. worked out here like don't yeah. fuck with it like he's going to kill you if you do that <laughs> and then they do it and then that happens and they get the whole village destroyed it kind of strikes me as like a uh, an analogy for like an outside occupying force not mm. understanding the culture that they're taking over and then ruining it or just flat out destroying it you no, know.
0: that's a good point. That's a good point. I was thinking about Varon the unbelievable. Mm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and you know because I think we've seen these 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 communities yeah. a few times and and I think in this case we see them partnering with the heroes who are going to save the sure. day. Mm-hmm. But in in so many of the cases these are the communities that are destroyed uh, because yeah. of their Blind allegiance to the monsters, or to the gods, or to whatever, and so I, 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 it's something that I think I that I need to investigate more of Honda's films and mm-hmm. and see more of his how he explored these communities a little bit more. Yeah, because um, mm-hmm. I think there's something in that that I, I'm not sure if it's his pushing back against Japan's tendency to do this or mm-hmm. to to have this collateral damage or if this is his own blind spot as well i think yeah, there are... it could be yeah
1: um i think i read it more on the side of this is a regrettable <laughs> outcome yeah. and i think also what really solidified that for me was i think when we discussed the mysterians how to me that felt so clearly like an anti-imperialist Definitely, allegory yeah But then there's also like, I think this trope that you're describing, this sort of like indigenous tribe that is kind of at the behest of like this huge monster. I mean, this obviously comes from King Kong, which is also something that's obviously influential to this shared universe. And that is a film that is riddled with inherent problems. Yeah, Uh, And so I think you might just kind of end up with some of that DNA. Yeah, Maybe that's sort of where that's coming from. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but I do think at least the vibe that I get is that it is erring on the side of anti-imperialism versus a sort of blind spot to it, I guess.
0: No, that's a good point. And I do think that where we actually, what we actually get here, more than any of the other films that I've seen of his that do have these indigenous folks, are that we have them being active participants and we actually have characters that mm-hmm. we begin to—that's to really care about that are, that are given a little more depth and given more agency in the film, mm-hmm. uh, especially with Rico and his eventual wife. And I think that gives them a little more presence in the film rather than just having it be uh, the, rather than just having them be monster fodder. You know? Yeah, for sure. I do think that unlike some of the other films that I think Honda had a little more of a hand in developing, mm-hmm the female protagonist in this is a little more passive
1: mm-hmm.
0: than even in the last two films. And I, I found that a little frustrating because <laughs> she's constantly, well, what do we, what should we do? How should we do this? You know, she's, she's much less an active agent in this. And I, I was, I was uh-huh. really disappointed in that uh, compared to some of the other films that we've seen in this series. And yeah. even in, you know, in Frankenstein versus Barragon the yeah. The scientist there she's she's really an, an integral part of what's going
1: yeah, on yeah I, I think she's that's a good that's a good call out that I didn't think to mention is that she is really a very integral part of that of the heart of that film but also like is like the moral center of it yeah where like she's the one advocating for the humanity and is showing the most compassion yeah while still maintaining like this sort of air of legitimacy as a as a scientist on par mm-hmm. with like her male colleagues. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to gender dynamics as much on this one, I think because I sort of tuned out of the people entirely at some <laughs> point. Yeah, I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> they are kind of
0: disposable.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. This one does feel the most to me, maybe not the most, but very especially to me like it is running on autopilot in this sort mm-hmm. of mechanic for showcasing these admittedly killer costumes and fights yeah. and things. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, as I'm reading about the production of this, I mean, it looks like it, it was originally going to be this giant production, this giant global production. Monsters were going to be attacking every corner of the globe. It wasn't going to be offset set on a secluded island, but because of financial difficulties at Toho, they reworked the script. They limited the scope. They were going to shoot, you know, in I think Guam, but they ended up shooting on an island just off the coast of Japan. So they constantly pared down everything in this film because of finances. And I think you can. F- feel it. And so you're getting great effects work because I think Honda knows how to do great effects work and you're getting really good good stuff there, but I do think that you can kind of feel the clunkiness of the story because of the all of the rewrites and all of the changes and all of the concessions that are made to budgetary limitations. Yeah. Yeah, this was the last science fiction film that before Terror of Mechagodzilla that was made under the Toho studio system.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was reading that they kind of did some union busting and as a result, kind of dissolved a lot of the skeletal system that kind of kept this thing going. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like this is a, it's fun. I,
0: I I had a lot of fun with it. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I think, you know I think it's I,
1: super watchable. Like I think yeah. this is one that you could you could definitely throw on like with people and not have to worry so much about following along and just yeah. kind of have a good time with it. I yeah. think it's it services itself very well for that. Yeah. But yeah, aside from like this kind of imperialist discussion that we kind of had to pry out of it, there's not a <laughs> ton really there. My wife popped it in and sort out. of
0: and enjoyed what she saw of it, and thought it was fun, uh, and thought it was yeah. it was goofy,
1: silly, enjoyable fun. Yeah, yeah. The part where they're harvesting bats—the kind of—it was very bizarre to me. I'm not sure how that was meant to go, but um, <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was I was trying to figure <laughs> out the mechanics
0: of. Uh-huh. Okay, how are you going to keep the bats <laughs> in place and ensure that they yeah. fly where you want also them to fly? Also, like,
1: like, sick them on this creature <laughs> or whatever. like is it, Using those particular sounds that you can't hear. It was all very strange. That was all weird to me. But also, I really kind of love that they inexplicably call this creature an octopus over and over again when it is, like, clearly more like a squid and more technically yeah. like a cuttlefish. But, you know, that's fine. I really love... Mr. Squid in this one, and the snapping turtle with the jack-in-the-box neck was really great. <laughs> Big fan.
0: Yeah, and that final fight after they've been uh, appropriately disoriented by the bats, you know, I feel like yeah. uh, that was that was fun. You know, especially as the the turtle seemed to have some sort of like a a spike that shot out of its mouth as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I felt the ending kind of was disappointing again. Just kind of. F- fell into a volcano again i guess yes fine i did like the line at the end where the scientist is like oh we're good like nothing could survive a volcano even alien life i'm like you (laughs) can't know that (laughs) but okay yeah that's fine yep yeah i
0: found that fun uh (laughs) and and you know it, it was it was kind of poignant when the uh evil anthropologist who uh, was there mm-hmm. actually is corp- for corporate espionage uh, who has been taken over by the space amoeba you know he he fights back and decides he's going to throw himself into the volcano
1: that's you know there's something very yeah
0: very sad and very very poignant there
1: um, this one had a more positive take i think on yeah. human nature and the instinct towards compassion yeah, And I think some of the other ones here. And that was really the only thing upon finishing. And I was like, I guess that's kind of what it's trying to say. If yeah. I had to pick something. Although despite how much I love the creatures here, I got to say that this one, especially like there is no humanity in these creatures at all. And they just kind of exist to be destroyed, you know? Yeah. Which is fine for what it is, but it isn't really what I find special about these films.
0: Yeah. Again, I just, I think this was not as rich I don't think any of these Mm -hmm. films were quite as rich as some of the other, Mm -hmm. the films that we've talked about before. I don't think that's bad. I don't think it's, it's a, it's a terrible thing. I think it's interesting to see the scope of someone's career, right? And to know that he's going to get around to doing terror of Mechagodzilla in a few years, you know, he's still got plenty of exciting, you know, tricks up ahead. Right. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Any last thoughts on this film that is not necessarily a, a masterpiece, but is still fun to watch.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think we got more out of it than I was expecting to, honestly. So that's good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, again, you know, we talked a little bit about kind of summing up Ishiro Honda's career, but anything else that you would like to discuss anywhere you'd like to go with his films and filmography moving forward for yourself?
1: Yeah, just as many of them as I can find. I think this is clearly one of my favorite directors at this point, if not mm. one of my more watchable ones, like ones that I feel I know what I'm going to get. and I know I'm going to like it and I know it's not going <laughs> to ask too much of me yeah. so that I'll have the capacity for it, but I'm still going to get a, quite a bit of substance. You know, yeah. it meets that middle ground very well. I think yeah. my takeaways from this whole endeavor would be to prioritize watching Rodan and Matango Those are my favorites. Yeah. And make sure you watch the original Godzilla if you haven't already to anyone listening, because that is, I think, essential viewing for just the landscape of cinema as a whole. And yeah, I mean, I really do hope that Janice Films continues to mine this filmography because I don't even think we're halfway through it in terms of like what I've actually seen. It's pretty incredible. And it doesn't even have to be like, I think we talked about this in Patreon territory, but there's still quite a bit of sci-fi monster stuff to get through. But then on top of that, I really want to see what he does with his human dramas, because that's Mm -hmm. so clearly at the heart of most, if not all of these, whether that manifests in a monster or in a human being, there is human or emotional drama. At the core of just about all of these. And I would like to see that explored without having to filter it through genre elements, which is something that I really like. But I also really like, you know, your straightforward drama where you can just kind of explore those elements as far as you can take them, you know? And I feel confident that his work in that field is at least good, <laughs> and I would like to to see for myself. But I think I'm spoiled at this point, and if something isn't like freshly restored and like with a good subtitle translation, I'm like, mm, I got lots of other <laughs> stuff to watch. So hopefully uh, they get around to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think you make a really great point
0: because I think that the films of his that I have responded to the most as we have gone on this journey together are the ones. In which the human element is as thoughtfully handled as the special effects element, and when when it takes a backseat to the special effects or when it is not handled as well, those are the times when we get the less satisfying films. And I because I think that that's where he's really he really shines is in knowing how to blend those two together and and keep that human element really foregrounded in these films so yeah i'm i'm really hopeful that that we'll get to see more of those as well this reminds me too that i need to work my way through the godzilla box set you know i've seen most of the films in there but i think it's it's going to be time soon to actually uh, dig into the set and watch this all the special features and really uh just sit with the films and enjoy them now that i've finished my zatoichi box set I do need to oh, clean damn. off the discs <laughs> because they you know, did that thing where they slid into the mm. case. So, Pro I, tip
1: for anyone listening, I yeah. just put them in a disc wallet. Yes. I didn't want to mess with it. Like, I know. I, that packaging, as beautiful as it is, is not particularly practical. So I was just like, nope, not dealing with it. It's going in the disc wallet. I don't have to worry about it. Do you know off the top of your head which ones you haven't seen yet? Which ones are oh. on deck? I don't remember off the top of my head uh, I'll
0: probably watch my way through the entire set um and just mm, mm-hmm. uh rewatch the things that I've already seen, yeah, I think that's that to me is going to be my approach as I watch through them because mm. I think there's only two of the films that weren't on the channel originally, so I find it more enjoyable to just go through it all chronologically
1: mm-hmm. yeah, right. I think on that one in particular, all the special features are on like the last disc, and there yeah. honestly aren't like a huge amount of them, but the ones mm. that are there are quite good. So yeah, when I went through that set, it was just kind of like, you know, 15 films back to back to back to back. And then I kind of took a little afternoon of special features and I have yet to watch the commentaries yet, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's a great set.
0: Yeah, no, my big, my big thing now will be to figure out which discs have the goop on the back and either how to clean <laughs> them off or get criterion to replace
1: those discs. So <laughs> You know, when I emailed them about it, they sent me back a how to guide on how to clean them because I guess they got enough of those. Awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: Celeste, thank you so much for joining me on this journey. This has been Mm -hmm. such a treat, such a joy. I probably wouldn't have started this journey quite right away unless Mm -hmm. you would have reached out to me. So thank you. This has been such a pleasure.
1: I'm glad that, I don't know, nobody else got to it first because I had a lot of fun doing (laughs) this. And yeah, who knows how long it would have taken me, if at all to get through all this stuff there's just so much out there right now that without a immediate pressing sort of catalyst to get me to watch something it's it's difficult yeah so like a lot of stuff will just sit on the back burner indefinitely so this was really good to get me to watch these kind of unsung corners of this sort of genre and filmography so and you know having these discussions with you has been really great like i i think i said this In our first episode, or maybe I said it again in the last one, but there's not a ton of spaces to really dig in thoughtfully like this. I find a lot of film criticism and film discussion to be pretty surface level, and uh, I really appreciate your both your willingness and your ability to go like as as deep as we can get with this stuff. Even for like more, I don't know. I think a lot of people look at this as like kind of fluffy genre fare, and Mm -hmm. um, kind of my niche on my channel and just in my life at this point has been. Mining the deeper themes out of mm-hmm. the more schlocky, fluffy outsider art that's out there, you know the less obvious stuff that you could glean thematic depth from has kind of been my special mission, and so this was especially a lot of fun for me
0: yeah yeah no i i I agree I think that that every every work of art comes you know with a perspective with a point of view mm-hmm. with something that it's trying to say i think from yeah. your romantic comedies to your you know 8 hour art films to you know comic book movies to a sitcom you know, everything is, is trying to say something. It has a perspective on yeah, the world. It's absolutely. saying something about how we live and how we exist in this space. And I think that everything's worthy of consideration. Everything's worthy of discussion. And the stuff they say may be good, may be bad, may be indifferent, but yeah. it's, always, it's always worth kind of mining that, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, what's the point of, of, of engaging with this art if we're not going to really look at it? mm-hmm, so well, you know. it's
1: just entertainment, so I don't know why we're wasting our time <laughs> That's right that's right
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i i and I appreciate anyone that is willing to to engage with with any of this art on a deeper level because I think that that's how we how we learn right mm-hmm. One of my things is is you know I'm pretty omnivorous in my art, and mm-hmm. you know I would much rather. Kind of sit and think about any of the things that I see, even if it's a terrible movie, I want to know why is it mm-hmm. terrible? Why, why yeah. doesn't it work for me? And, yes. um, and, and figure that out rather than just kind of just go, oh, it's stupid. I'm going to turn it mm-hmm. off now. Yeah, no, this has been this has been a delightful series of conversations and I look forward to uh having you back on the show at some point so that we can uh, continue talking about other other films from other corners of the Criterion collection. So, this has been Yeah, great. I would love that. Yeah, I'm excited well, uh, once again, I want to thank all of uh, the Patreon supporters for supporting the show, for uh, keeping the lights on, as it were, and uh, making sure that I can keep getting episodes out. So, thank you. Uh, I want to thank Criterion Cast for continuing to uh, give us a home and continuing to uh, put out really great podcasts, reviews, and other content at criterioncast.com. So just definitely make sure to check out all of the great work
1: uh, happening there. And
0: uh, one more time, Celeste, thank you for joining me.
1: Where can people find you online? You can find me on YouTube, on Instagram, and on TikTok at Celeste De La Cabra, and you can find me on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash Ecstasy and Patreon Yeah, at Celeste De La Cabra as well. Pretty sure if you just search that, it should come up.
0: <laughs> Perfect. And I'll make sure we have links to everything in our show notes. So uh, once again, thanks. And uh, we'll be back uh, with another episode soon. So thank you.
1: Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks.
0: You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, Cinemacocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at surfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times, Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of CriterionCast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss on a special Patreon-only bonus episode. Thanks for listening. CriterionCast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.